Quick pass. It's Cooks. Blockers ahead. Cooks turns on the Jets. Cooks. See you later. Touchdown, Texans. His second of the day. And that should do it here in Jacksonville. And welcome to episode 111 of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. There's only three to go now, and we've got a win to talk about this week. So it's a bit of a novelty this season as the Texans came out the victors in Duval, 30-16. to And I'm joined this week by a man you may know as Texans Cap uh, from OverTheCap.com and the Cap and Trade podcast. Troy, how you doing? Good. How are you tonight, sir? Thanks for having me on. I'm good, man. Good. Not too bad. Good to have a, a win to talk about, I suppose, before we kind of get into it. You're kind of seeing just as in the last couple of hours the more additions to the COVID list. I think they're taking up to 14 players. Uh, Malik Collins, Derek Rivers and Jacob Martin added to that list. Um, so it's starting to, starting to cause a bit of havoc across the league. Yeah, with the enhanced... Uh targeting testing protocols that they agreed to over the weekend, it looks like we're going to start seeing more positives, especially with the vaccinated players that they're testing more often. But, you know, they, they did change the return policy or the return procedure for the players to be able to test out of it. If they can get one negative test within, you know, within the next day, starting the next day. So hopefully some of these players start coming back off the list. Cause I believe, I mean, Coley said it, Eric Wilson's the only, unvaccinated player on the roster so yeah you know hopefully majority of these players can kind of test out of it later this week and get back on the roster for the game and and won't have too many major issues like we had this weekend with having to i think they had six COVID elevations from the practice squad you know we had five starters out for the defense so you know it looks like it's going to be a kind of a war of attrition this last last two or three weeks of the season. It's not going to affect the Texans for the playoffs, but I am curious to see how it's going to affect some of the teams in the playoffs going forward. Yeah, because you think you saw the Browns' defeat to the Raiders earlier today. Um, you know, it's kind of thrown their season off, you know, out of kilter uh, when they probably thought they would have had a chance to try and make it in the playoffs. I suppose for us, as you said, it's, it's the implications are next to nil, I suppose, as we've got these final three games. But um, it's certainly something that's come back with uh, with a lot of ferocity in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but, yeah, some of the watches as we're heading um, to the visit of uh, the Chargers this weekend. Um, but it's, again, it's probably a game that's a bit of a foregone conclusion if you've watched any of those and uh, games in a roster that's, you know, far, far removed from... From us, but but Troy, in terms of um, in terms of becoming a, a cap specialist, how did um, how did that all sort of come about, and how did you how did you start uh, learning, and how did you you become involved in in, in monitoring this sort of, the, 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 this Texan salary cap? How did how did that all come about for you? Yeah, so I mean, I started this was even back before Twitter and and any other kind of social media I started just like majority of other people started on the message boards. I think it was like 2009, 2010, right before the the new CBA, right before the lockout. And you started to see people asking questions about this player and that player and how it affects, you know, people started asking how does it affect the salary cap? And I just kept seeing the questions over and over and nobody really had any answers that made any sense. So I was like, well, this is interesting. You know, maybe I'll start reading up on this a little bit. And then I, you know, that they had the lockout with the new, and then they had the new CBA come out in 2011, which was a, a drastic difference from the previous one, especially in terms of the salary cap. 
And so I, you know, it was a very large document, but I picked up and started reading it, you know, started reading everything I could get my hands on, then started making some relationships, you know, with Jason at Over the Cap, who, who owns that website. And then there's, I've acquired a number of relationships over the years. There's probably about 15 or so folks that kind of do what I do for individual teams across the league and forge those relationships and just continually learn and learn and learn. And, you know, I have a little group, a little group chat with on Twitter in the, in my DMS with uh, about four other guys that are really, really good at this, been doing this a little bit longer than I have. And so I'm able to bounce questions off them and they, you know, they bounce questions off me and just, you know, you learn over time as you go and, and you, you start to get access to certain things and I, I get a little better access every year to contracts and, and the details that I need to do what I do. And it, it's just over time, just learning things and, you know, get more confident on, on, on the information that I'm getting and processing it properly. And, and I've been through, I don't know how many Excel spreadsheet iterations over the years. I'm probably on like version five or six and, and just, you know, just kept plugging at it. And, you know, I've gotten to the, I've gotten to the confidence level where, you know, a lot of the local media will, will ping me when they have questions, you know, some agents will reach out to me and if they have any questions on certain things. And so just all that put together, it's just, it's become a, a good little niche thing for me. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that are very good with X's and O's and playbook and watching film. And that's just not really my specialty. And, there's not, unfortunately for me, there's not a whole lot of people that do this. So it's just worked out well and it's, and it's become a good avenue for me to get out there and, and, and interact with folks and share some information. And my goal has always been to, I don't try to hide information just to keep it proprietary to me. I try to share as much as I, as I can without giving, you know, I don't like to give away certain details of contracts and stuff like that because that's between the player and the team. But I, I try to delve in as much as I can and try to help people understand the CPA and the operations of the league and how things work and what this means, what that means. And so I'm always happy to try to answer questions as best I can. So just overall, it's just, it's been a good experience so far. I've been doing this, like I said, I think since 2010, so a little over 10 years now and, and uh, hopefully, hopefully life and, and work outside of, of doing this will continue to allow me to continue doing it. Yeah, I was going to say it must be one one hell of a spreadsheet you've got in terms of the the cap the the cap and stuff. And, it, and has it changed over the last couple of years in terms of in terms of uh, the, you know structures and and I suppose every every team is different. Um, um, is it and could, could you could, could, can you see why the you know there's there's somebody in a, every building or a couple of people in every building that, that that manage the cap and it's not just you know it's not just the payroll department it's it's a bit more complex accounting function than your sort of average industry. Yeah, I mean you you kind of want to there's two elements to it you know there's there's the cash element and then there's the salary cap element and I've always just kind of thought of salary cap dollars as an accounting function an allocation of how the the cash is spent. So, you know, and every team's got, there's so many different structures out there, you know, and Houston's gone through a a wide range of different structures over the years. You know, you have teams that have certain precedents on how they structure contracts. There's teams like Tampa Bay and Oakland that use a strict cash model with no signing bonus 
They just use salary guarantees and roster bonuses. And then you have on the opposite spectrum, you have teams like Pittsburgh and Green Bay that go with large signing bonuses with no guarantees and salaries. Sometimes they, you know, sometimes they'll guarantee the first year, but that's about it. Pittsburgh had to break their precedent for TJ Watt to, to bring that contract in. And, and Houston's kind of gone through different ways, you know, in the beginning of this, of that last CBA in 2011, Rick Smith kind of started out with the, him and Chris Olson at the time, they started out with a heavy signing bonus model with a small salary guarantee, which kind of left a little dead money on the back end. And you kind of just saw them rearrange their structure on their contracts as years went through. They tried a different structure with a Brian Cushion extension and they had an option year in there. And that was the only time that they've ever done that. They haven't done it since. And then it slowly morphed into this, what it kind of coined was a hybrid model. It was a combination of a small signing bonus with salary guarantees. And on the big deals, they would do a year to two roster bonus. So that actually worked out to be a very solid structure for Houston going forward. They've employed that the last four or five years. And this current regime has kind of kept that same model that uh, Chris Olsen kind of put together. So there's different ways to go about it. There's, you know, different ways to manage it. You know, there's teams that like Dallas that everybody kind of harps on them about how they always have to restructure contracts to get under the cap. Well, that's part of their model. That's how they build their contracts. Their contracts are built in to have those restructures to free up the cap space. So there's, you know, so many ways to do it. There's a lot of good teams that are out there that are very good at it. And there's some teams that are not quite as good at it. Houston, you know, we'll see if Casario kind of keeps that same methodology going forward. I think, I think we, I don't know if, I think he will just the biggest change that we've seen here from Rick Smith, Chris Olson to Nick Casario is the inclusion of incentives. Rick Smith and Chris Olson never used incentives on any contracts. They did use per game roster bonuses, but they never used any player or team incentives. Nick Casario has gone the complete 180 almost probably 60% of the free agent contracts that he did all have all have incentives in them. So it's another thing for me to track and makes it more fun, but that, you know, that's just kind of a high level overview of, of the differences out there and how teams are structuring things and what the Texans have done and how they've kind of adjusted over these last 10 years to find what's best for them from a cash stand cash standpoint and a cap standpoint. Like I said, cap, cap is just the allocation of the cash dollars. But at the end of the day, Cash is king. You know, cap dollars can only cap dollars only mean a certain thing. Every team has a cash budget. When it comes down to it, you know, you may have X amount of cap dollars available, but that doesn't mean you have X amount of cash dollars available. You know, every teams like Indianapolis, Cincinnati, they generally have lower cash budgets than the Atlanta Falcons and the Los Angeles Rams and the San Francisco 49ers and teams like that that have stronger markets, stronger cash flows. So you know, it's a hard cap league, but at the end of the day, some of the, the, the big cash flow teams still have a little edge up on attempting to sign players. I'm, gonna sign, they, I'm not going to say they sign better players, but they have an edge up on that cash side of things. Yeah, and on that incentive point, so Tyrod Taylor comes over and like it's 12.5 million all, all in, including all incentives. When, when it is a sentence like that, when a player such as Tyrod doesn't play all the games, doesn't meet all the criteria to trigger those bonuses, does does how does the how do they split that element of what that um, 
counts as against the salary cap and then what counts against the cash flow. How, how does that how does that kind of work there when when you when they've gone after an incentive laden model? Sure. So there's there's two trigger points when it comes to incentives. And you'll you'll see kind of acronyms out there. You'll see them on my timeline. You'll see LTBE and NLTBE. So what that means is likely to be earned and not likely to be earned. So if we look at incentives, so if a player has playtime incentives, so say I think Tyrod, I think his is leveled. So, you know, if he'll get, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, I'd have to pull them up. But let's just say, for example, he would get 250000 for playing 50% of the snaps and then another 250000 for 60%, another 250000 for 70%. So to to determine what's going to be on the cap this year, you have to look at last year's performance. So if la- his last year performance, whatever team it was with, you look at that playing time. So let's say he had 62% of the offensive snaps last year. Then that first two tiers, that 50% and 60% numbers, totals 500000 That would be on the cap this year. Because they're likely to be earned because he earned them, he, he met that criteria last year, and the rest of the money does not hit the cap this year. So then you go in, he you finish you finish the year, let's say he plays were to play 80% of the snaps. He would earn all that cash, you know, up to at that under that scenario would be seven hundred and fifty thousand. But since five hundred thousand was counted on the cap this year, there would be a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar adjustment in the annual adjustment period between years. So there's an annual adjustment in March. And then next year you would reference this year. So the next year there would be 750,000 on the cap if he was under contract for next year. So it's kind of tricky. You just got to look at what last year's performance is to determine what's likely to be earned and would be on this cap for this year. And then you take the performance at the end of the year, make your uh, annual adjustment. If they don't meet, so let's say he had five hundred thousand that's likely to be earned, but he didn't meet those meet the criteria to reach that five hundred thousand. Then the team would get a credit in twenty twenty two on the cap. So that's at a high level thirty thousand foot view. That's pretty much how incentives work. Okay, yeah, it's just something to keep out keep a lookout for. I suppose if Casario is going to continue to go after that model, and I think we're probably this year be in a similar situation where you know that that may be a a function where he you know has to use to entice players with something to prove and prove it deals perhaps. Exactly, and you know I'm hoping to I'm hoping to put a kind of an incentive tracker up right before week 18 on uh, on the Texans. I'll probably put it on OTC just to. You know, a lot of fans like like I said, we're not used to seeing incentives. We're not used to seeing how they're how they work, how they're calculated. So, I've already got got the, the framework built for that for that post, and hopefully, we can put a little more knowledge out there for for everybody and break it down and show exactly how the incentives are going to affect the cap this year, how they're going to affect next year as well. Yeah, when you were talking about all those previous extensions, it seems like a world apart from. From where we are, we'll park. We'll come back to the, some of that cap stuff before we, we sure. head out of here. But there was there was a game to talk about at the weekend. There, um, a win's a win, I suppose. Um, you know, there's two sides of the argument, right? You go on one side. There's you don't want to lose games because you know losing it can, can set in, it can rot, um, and then also you got the kind of as you said the the, the the league structures that which are aimed around parity that will you know 
effectively we've we've uh, diminished our draft position ever so slightly at this stage. Detroit lost as well, so by 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 default the Jaguars are then vaulted into the number one pick again potentially for the second year in a row. Um, so I suppose it's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of an odd situation. Where do where do you stand on that debate, Troy? Do you think well, you got to keep winning as long as you can and, and the chips will fall, or how how do you see it? Yeah, you kind of want to. I mean, I know it's a little early to kind of determine what the draft class is going to look like, but that's where I, I kind of would lean towards. So, given that there's no like just consensus top, you know, Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence type player next year, then there's really, really no difference in my eyes having pick number one, two, three, four, five. You know, you, you know, you have the two at you know Hutchison and, and Thibodeau at the top. Have Evan Neal out of Alabama, the tackle. You have Hamilton, the safety. So that kind of seems like the consensus consensus top four today. A lot's going to change between now and and May, especially after the combine. And you know, if any of these quarterbacks come up the come up the board, you know, the Kenny Pickett's of the world and things like that. But given what we're looking at for this upcoming draft, I'm fine with another win or two just to show that the team is building on something that they're not just that the team has just folded players are still showing spirits, you know, getting out there and, and making plays and trying to win the game. To me, that shows that what the team is selling from the locker locker room standpoint, the culture aspect, you know, the scheme, everything that still shows the players are willing to buy into it this late into this difficult of season. That's something to build on for 2022. So to me, like I said, pick number three, which is where they're slated at now between even if they won another game and slid back to picks four five and six, I don't think in this draft, there's not much difference to be had there, you know, and there's, you know, and if Watts, you know, if the Watson situation plays out and they get that trade done, then they're going to have, you know, more first round picks. So at that point, that's going to give Casario quite a bit more ammunition to move around. Even if he stayed at pick three or four or five, you know, great and he may end up moving back and 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 gaining more assets so all that put together that's why i don't think it's that big a deal that the team won this weekend to me i'd rather see the win just like i said because it shows that the team is still functioning that the players are still positive and that they're still building on something yeah, and I think within the context of you know 11 covid cases that you were removed predominantly from defense the weather uh you're playing against the number one overall pick i think it was you know it was a good solid team win and it probably shines a little bit brighter on the coaching staff we'll come back to them in a second but when you compare our situation to say jacksonville who you know who you know and many people thought it might be you know almost impossible to get the number one overall pick who who was meant to be that generational talent uh, certainly doesn't look like it at this stage. Looks like a guy who's been completely undeveloped as he's coming to the pros by this coaching staff. But how do you compare our situation versus Jacksonville? Because I think on a pure talent paper point of view, they've probably got more pieces and and could potential kind of foundational guys on their roster to try and build. But you know, very very quickly they found themselves. You know, you make the wrong choice at co- head coach there's drama there you've got a coaching staff who probably you know don't want to be there 
And you've got you've got a number of guys there who are underperforming. KV on Chase on not getting snaps, you know, from a first round pick a couple of years ago. So, you know, it, it can all change very quickly in the league. But I think you know we're certainly at the bottom of the totem pole right now with Detroit and in in Jacksonville in terms of pure talent. It would seem like both those teams are ahead of us in just terms of getting quality, you know, pro level players in their building, but. When you see Jacksonville, you know, continually at the top end of the draft, continually with cap dollars to spend, uh, how do how do how do you think we learn from that and and uh, and, and not and not be or not get into that 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 pit of misery, if you like, that there seems to be consistent teams, you know, Cleveland were there for years, Buffalo were there for years. How do we learn, how did you think Casario learns from that and we can actually build year on year rather than you know some of these teams seem to have all the assets but don't take don't take any steps forward. Yeah, I mean, it shows just how much of a crapshoot the draft is and how difficult free agency, free agency can be when you see Jacksonville, who's routinely picking at the, near the top of the draft, at the top of the draft. You know, we saw them go on the huge free agency spending bin, you know, four, four years ago, back-to-back years of just massive amounts. And yes, it did get them to one AFC championship, but the rest of the seasons beyond that were just just bad. And then they end up having to trade away and dump a lot of contracts. And you know, free agency is extremely difficult. And so, given all that, you know, you ask where Jacksonville kind of stands and compared to Houston for the future. I mean, obviously they have Trevor Lawrence in place. They have a few a few other foundational pieces. You know, with Josh Allen, I still think, like you said, Chase On is is a a player to build around. You know, but they they trade away their other cornerback. They, you know, they don't have as that very many foundational pieces. We'll see if uh, Travis Etienne can come back from his foot injury after missing his rookie mm-hmm. season. You know, be their running back next year. So the other thing that concerns me there is, is Trent Baalke as a GM. Is he going to stick around with a new head coach? You know, it, and and Shad Khan's son is is very involved in the football operation. So. You know, is obviously the job is attractive just on the basis on the fact of having Trevor Lawrence, but just given their past history of how things have been managed, their their low performance, low return on investment in the rosters is going to make some some coach have a little bit of pause. But you know, there's so the job opportunity in the NFL is so limited that most coaches are going to take their shot. But Trevor Lawrence being there is going to be the most enticing piece. You know, and having Chase on and Josh Allen as your pass rushers, but beyond that, they don't have much of an offensive line. Cam Robinson, you know, he's playing on the franchise tag, but he's nowhere near a quality left tackle at that money. Andrew Norwell is just aging out of that contract. Brandon Linder just can't stay off the can't stay off the injury reserve list. So they have probably just as many positions to fill on the roster as the Texans do outside of the quarterback position. I mean, DJ shark who's on the injured reserve list for wide receivers. They don't have any big name, you know, defensive backs. It, you know, miles Jack is there in the linebacker core, but you know, it's just a, it's going to be a rough rebuild for them going forward. But as we all know, once you have quarterback in place, things can turn around very, very quickly. And it just needs, you know, Trevor Lawrence just needs to get, Hopefully they can find a coaching staff that can build, get him motivated, get him going back in the right direction because talent is obviously there for him. They just need to get the right staff, get the right personalities in place, get the right scheme in place for him. And they could flip this thing very, very quickly. 
I mentioned the GM Trent Baalke. I, I wasn't a big fan of his when he was in San Francisco. I'm not a big fan of his in Jacksonville already. So we'll see if if he stays in place. But if they change change up the front office in addition to the head coach, they could put that thing pretty quickly. I think that as compared to Houston, I think it's a little longer drawn out process just based on the fact that you know Davis Mills is what he is, and we still have to see what that is. But not having a franchise quarterback in place is going to make it a little longer process for Houston as compared to what Jacksonville is looking at. Yeah, and uh, I suppose we should probably tease us up nicely to talk about Davis, or David as it was called in the CBS broadcast, um, as they talked about a guy with experience, and I don't think some of them were even watching this game. So I think nationally this game was irrelevant for you know the vast majority of football fans out there, but I suppose you did see some steps, I think, in the first half. And I mean, I've seen some wild, wild proclamations of what Davis Mills is and, and can be and where he is in this rookie class. And it's, it's I suppose even you can box score scout and, and take anything away you want from that, I suppose, at times. Um, I, I do try and spend a lot of time watching the the film, not watched all 22 this week, keen to get into it. Um, I suppose you've always got a caveat with the quality of opposition because, you know, as you said, you know, they've not got, you know, we're, we're playing against a, a perennial loser franchise, effectively. We're, we're, you know, towing very close to being that as well. So you've got to kind of context the, the defense and the, and, and where they are and the mindset of, of those players and stuff like that. And I think um, the, the early scripting, I think, with Davis Mills and Tim Kelly has been good. Um, it's all, it was all kind of very short, sharp stuff. Like you know, didn't leave a huge amount to the imagination, as always in terms of play calling, creativity, and route concepts, and um, a hesitancy to throw them deep. And I, I think it was you saw it definitely. There, there, there's some growing, you know, growing points here in terms of pocket awareness and and mobility and throwing on the run. I think we've seen all that, and I think that came through again, despite some of the conditions and, and the rain. You saw a good drive at the end of the, end of the first half when they managed to managed to get, get a tack on a field goal there as well. So in terms of Davis Mills, I think you know there were some wildly inaccurate moments in the second half, and I think that's the biggest concern and perhaps his biggest impediment to being a franchise quarterback, but we're, we're, and everybody wants to annoy everybody and, you know, you don't, you don't want to be too down, you don't want to be too high, but from a, from a, a very sort of logical uh, viewpoint, Troy, where do you see Davis Mills right now in terms of getting his first win? Uh, but it seems like there's a, a, a big, big steep learning curve for him to, to get to a point where you could potentially rely on him. Yeah. He's starting to put together, you know, a little bit better tape. We, when you, when you watch, especially the last two games, he's getting, compared to the first the first part of the season where he played. So he's getting through his progressions quicker. You see his footwork in the pocket. He's got a little little more happy feet. He's he's making the moves. He's making faster decisions. You know, he's starting to get to his checks, especially his check down. He's getting to those a little bit quicker. He's make he's actually we saw this weekend, he actually made some changes at the line. That was kind of a first where he's checking out of plays, you know, whether that's He's checking in the right plays or not, but he, you know, that it's good to see that the team has given him the ability to to make those checks at the line. So all those signs, all those things put together show that the game is starting to slow down for him a little bit. It's still is going to take time. You know, there's a reason why he's a third round quarterback, but it's it's slowly starting to come together for him from from a game aspect, reading defenses. It's going to 
you know, it's just slowing down for him. So my, my biggest concern for him is just his lack of athleticism. You know, he, he can move around a little bit in the pocket, but he doesn't have the awareness, just as you mentioned, to be able to, to move around successfully as a non-athletic quarterback. And I think he can make pretty much every throw that he would need to make from the pocket. It's just, you know, that, that like you said, the pocket awareness and the athleticism, the athleticism that's lacking that's going to be his biggest issue. He's going to have to, he's going to have to work around that. So given all that, you know, it, I just don't think that this scheme really is good for him. You know, the route concepts, like you mentioned, they're not, they're not using the route concepts for his benefit. He's, he's a very good vertical passer. He's very good down, down the seam passer. You know, he, they just don't seem to build on those type things. We, we don't see the same, nearly the same, uh, concepts that we saw for Watson. So, I mean, I just can't really figure out what Tim Kelly is doing. And, and you, you hinted at it on the adjustments, you know, as soon as Tim Kelly runs out of skip scripted plays, it just gets bad. And that's why we see the second half deflation that we see. He can't make the adjustments. And I don't know if it's a function of playbook availability for Mills, if you know, if if only forty percent of the playbook is available when it comes to the unscripted plays, or or what the issue is there, but you know, we, I I don't want to jump too far ahead down the down the down the running point, but you know, it, it makes me wonder what type of scheme, what type of offense that Mills would benefit from if he would benefit something a little more simplistic like a Kubiak Shanahan West Coast type of scheme versus the Earnhardt New England style that they're running right now. So given all that, I'm cautiously optimistic, mild, mildly optimistic on what we saw out of, out of Mills. You know, I'm excited to watch him for three more games to see if we continue to see that growth out of him and then get him a, another good offseason and, and see where he's at. It doesn't preclude the team from making any kind of strong moves at the position for 2022. So, you know, just I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, the kid's a third round draft pick and I, I don't know where his draft would have been if he had stayed in another year, but I'm mildly excited and glad to see the team get a win and, and, and hope to see him continue building on what he's putting together. Yeah, I mean, I always feel, felt like he would be, a, you know, I know it's not baseball, but he'd be a spot filler and, he, you know, he could come and help you in a pinch. And, you know, that, that has a value in this league. And, you know, whether that will, you know, there'll be an exponential, you know, growth curve for him in, in year two. I think that'll be the, the determining factor, whether he, he you know, he, he can be a, a some form of starter, whatever that's lower, you know, sort of, you know, closer to the mean in terms of quality at that at the hardest position to fill so I mean it's, it's always it's always kind of worth a worth a, a go I think at that position if you feel like you've got something there I think the, the I, I just keep going back to the accuracy piece so in the second half I think before that screen to Brandon Cooks which tied the game ironically in a, on a season we've watched screen after screen but um, <laughs> I think he was three he, he was three for 14 I believe in the in the second half at one point um, and you know and that included a Jordan Aitkins catch off the dirt which was very close 
Um, he did, you know, and his his best throw of the day was the one into Philip Dorsett, where the you know they faced the blitz and he just dropped it in the bucket. But but then he has throws like that, and then he has a throw at the back of the end zone where he just overthrows Nico Collins, and and he's uh, he's almost up the tunnel by the time he's he's stopped his feet because uh, he's overthrown it and he's not got the right arc on the ball. So it's it's a difficult one. But I think when you touched on that West Coast system there, Troy, I think you're right. I always go back to. The night I remember being in Denver, uh, the spiral fumble is in 2017. We'll revisit that season later on tonight. But the yeah, uh, but the the I always remember watching Kubiak coach that team and that system. Plus the quality of players around them really elevated Trevor Simeon into a quality starter. Um, and I think that was you know that was the year after they tried to replace Osweiler and also Manning. Uh, you know the the combination of those two that they gave in the Super Bowl. So they had some positive momentum there. But but that system. Plus the quality of players around them made Trevor Simeon look like you know a, a decent level starter because just the you know the way in which it, it sets a quarterback up for success. So I think there's definitely you know there's plenty of people still coaching that system in the league, and I think you're right. I think that that it appears to me um, on the face of it. Um, I may be wrong on that, but it feels like there's there's definitely a, a potential mesh there. Um, in terms of that system for a guy like Davis Mills, because you know, I think if you think of you know the Matt Shabby, um, if we cast our mind back um, to to those to those good times and what you do for those right now, um, but when you think of think of those days, um, you had you know an, a non a non athletic quarterback, even less than Davis Mills. Um, obviously, it fell off at one point, but you know you were able to get results and you were able to scheme open easy throws and you were able to run the ball really well so you know with a good run game around them and that's the big caveat I suppose that everyone will keep coming back to if you can support them rather than put it on his shoulders I think which uh, which you kind of see kind of buckle a little bit after those scripted plays but yeah I think there's definitely you know in a better situation uh, could we be seeing more but I think it just all comes back to that year two growth does it does it does it shoot up exponentially um, or is it going to remain sort of you know in the kind of you know, iterative steps it has this season. I think that'll be the big test for Davis. Yeah, no, I I very much agree with you. Year two is going to be the one where you you really determine is this guy going to be a potential player for us going forward, or is he going to be like you said the backup that can step in in a pinch for a week or two and, and kind of manage things going forward. So, you know, I'm excited to see what what they have in him. You know, you know. I, like I said, I'm just kind of cautiously optimistic at this point, and we'll just wait and see what happens. Just see what happens. Yeah, and I suppose we we were blessed with something we hadn't seen since the days of uh, of 2009. Um, but yeah, a kick a, a kickoff return, which was a big momentum swinger um, in the game as well. And Tremont Smith potentially kind of had probably one of his best games quite timely. Actually, it was kind of sort of question that that extension into next year albeit a low a low value one there was some other other questionable ones in there but um was there any standout performers for me from you on sunday no nobody really jumped out at me i mean you know brandon cooks had a good game as we saw but nobody really jumped off the screen at me at you know justin Britt was above serviceable finally you know we at this point it was nice to see him have a decent game i I tweeted I was definitely against the whole thing about moving Howard to left guard for yeah. one game. That made no sense to me. I understand what he was trying to do by putting together what they thought was the best five offensive linemen, but this this move, I mean, this affects not only this week, but you've got to continue your, your evaluation on Howard at left tackle 
you know, for 2022 and beyond. And that, and this was just another week where you're not going to be able to, be able to get that evaluation. You can't convince me that Gary on Christian and at left tackle and Howard at left guard was any better than Howard and than Howard at left tackle and Cole Toner or somebody else at left guard. The team needs to continue the evaluation on Howard to determine what they need to do for the future. And that was just a little frustrating part for me. You know, the defense was missing a lot of players, so it was tough to get a tough to get an evaluation. Poor Malik Collins, a kid. He just has so many Bush League penalties called on him this year. <laughs> I'm sure it's frustrating him as well. But, uh, you know, it's still good to see him getting that pressure, getting back there. And then on top of that, I mean, Eric, the the one and a half games of, the, of Eric Murray playing well, dating back to the Tennessee game, the honeymoon, once again, is over with him. So... And the only other one that was was interesting, and I had noticed it, I had noticed it during the game was David Johnson didn't play really in the second half, and I thought it's hurt again. And Coley today said that it was the game flow thing. So, I'm not sure that I truly buy that. I don't, you know, Rex Burkhead was playing already hurt, and Royce Freeman, who looks like the slowest running back I've ever seen, you know, it, I, you know, is I don't understand what's going on back there. I don't. I don't understand why David Johnson wasn't playing more. And I don't know if it was just a flat out benching or if, if it truly was a game flow issue and he just couldn't get back in or if there was an injury going on, who knows? But I mean, unfortunately I don't have any, any other than the players that I spoke about, there's nobody really jumped out at me. It was, you know, Tremont Smith had that great, great kick return. It was great to finally see another, finally see a, a special teams effort. You know, apparently Jacksonville was tackling optional on that play because four or five guys bump yeah. into Tremont Smith. It was good to see the kid get that. I mean, I was excited for him, and and you know, the team needs every bit of help they can get. So that would be kind of my my assessment on any uh, jump out players. Yeah, and you saw the the guy Smith who they brought in and got the sack. He was a former Jacksonville. Draftee, I think he could have flashed a couple of times um, in the last couple of weeks, and yeah, I, don't, I don't know, he's an inconsistent player. So, but he's a name to watch if he can be, you know, get into the system and and uh, and buy in a little bit. And obviously, Derek Rivers, the the uh, the the adopted uh, child of of, of Jack, used to be got an extension. Oh, you're lying. That's that that's that's Jack's boy right there. Well, that, well, that's it, yeah, and I think it, it was a strange one where he got the extension when he hadn't really played, um, which, you know, if you've, if you've got doubts about his influence, then I think that the actions speak louder than words, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I suppose he showed something, but he's on COVID this week, so any momentum he might gain is, is uh, and I don't think it's ever been a question of ability with Dead Rivers, it's not, I think it was Youngstown State he came out of, if my memory serves me right, but um, he... Uh, he, he's more been an availability type of guy that's been been his issue, but um, but yeah, some some okay things up front, all, all things considered. Uh, Garrett Wall, I thought had a good game. I think you're starting to see him. I think his biggest issue was he just physically wasn't big enough to hold up at linebacker. And you know, when watching his TCU tape, and I know everybody loved that Gary Patterson, he's now left TCU and all that kind of stuff, had great links to the league. But I think uh, you've seen him sort of develop physically, I think, and that's been the big difference between his tape and uh, in the last couple of weeks in the college. So that's interesting to see. And he's a spot filler, you know, he's the. You know he's he's potentially you know your fourth or fifth linebacker on a on a good team, but you know you need these pieces. We need every piece we can get. And uh, I and look, I don't think Lonnie Johnson he missed a terrible tackle right on the goal line. 
um, for one of the things. But I thought it was nice to see a defensive back going going up and playing the ball and look, he'll, he'll retweet that and you get all these various accounts. I'm sure you've seen them try who kind of love to sort of paint a kind of overtly positive picture of what's going on and of uh, on a Sunday and, and what have you. And it's not necessarily representative of reality, but you know, you'll see some players retweet that and, and, and take that as a, as, as kudos, but you know it was nice to see uh, somebody going up and breaking on the ball and and, uh, and and making a pass break up at the end zone. So you know it, it feels with Lonnie Johnson, it always feels like there's there's so much there's so much potential there. She's never been coached out of him, and partly his mentality, I think, as well as a, a big part of it. But it was good good to see that as well. And I think uh, Philip Dorset as well, albeit a retread, and he's bounced around the league as they said on the broadcast. He's third team this season but you know he's a guy that can get open because I think what you saw in the Seattle game and you saw sometimes this week as well there's a difficulty with the skill position guys to get open against man coverage and he showed that um, on on that on that blitz um, played for 33 yards it set up one of the scores so I think you know there, there was there was some small bits to like but I think you know the story and the and the evaluation of the talent level on this team's already been written this season because it kind of is what it is at this stage and there isn't a huge amount of um, you know, found the money to be had. You just got to hope, you know, the running back position. I just love to see, and everybody's talked about it all season. It's become a phenomenon more than perhaps a reality with Scotty Phillips coming back this week. And just give some level of juice at the running back position. Oh, yeah. I would love to see somebody back there that has a little <laughs> bit of juice. It's just, I mean, it, I, I've never seen a team that just trots out this level of of age of running back just over and over week after week. I mean, Johnston and Burkhead and, and now Freeman and, and I don't know. I mean, I would think at this point you would be trying to sign some, some young talent from another practice squad or something, trying to get a, you know, get a little bit of juice back there. And I'm not entirely convinced Scotty Phillips has the juice. And you know, it, hmm. you know, it's going to be tough to behind this offensive line anyway, Regardless of who's back there running the ball, but I mean, you gotta you gotta start picking off some young talent from other teams these last two weeks, last three weeks of the season, and and put them on the field and do a quick evaluation and and go from there. But we're just not seeing it at the running back, and that's just been the one conundrum that I cannot figure out is as how how they're managing the running back. I mean, this team has mismanaged the running back position for years now, and it just blows my mind. It seems like. I'm not saying it's an easy position to evaluate and 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 get the right players in there, but just the way they've managed it just makes no sense at all. It's just a a, a poor allocation of of money, poor allocation of cap dollars at this point. I mean, and hopefully they maybe they'll find a young talent in the draft in 2022 and kind of reset things and get going. But you just can't have a running back crew with an average age of whatever it is, 27, 28, 29 years old, that's just that's just not going to fly in the NFL. And they've got to figure it out for 2022 at this point. And, you know, whether that's a, a, a day two draft pick or, you know, like I said, just finding something, find some juice, find something somewhere because what you're doing is not working. Yeah, yeah, make it watchable. I think that's the issue, isn't it? You just want somebody. To, I mean, it's the easy. I talked about it last week. I talked about many weeks. It's the easiest position to fill. It's the easiest position to evaluate. So you know, if we don't come out and top four rounds with somebody to just go come in and be a, a starter or at least a spot filler in that, that spot will be a tough one. Yeah, I mean, Pre you you see other teams 
go to running back three, four, and five and pull a guy off the practice squad and comes in and just plays well. And yeah, and you can't even you can't even figure out how to get Royce Freeman to get more than 1.5 yards per attempt. So I'm sure it's more to I'm sure it has much to do with scheme and the poor yeah. the yeah. poor run blocking effort from the offensive line and, and that whole I mean, I'm sure it's a conglomeration of things, but it's just frustrating when you see other teams substitute in players and have success and the Texans attempt to do the same thing and have no success. That's the frustrating part for me. Yeah, and I think that'll be the one thing. I think this scheme has never, at any point, ran the ball well, consistently stuck to you know concepts that the players know inside out and execute well uh, on a Sunday and that's just happening. I think if there's anything you look forward to next season, it's probably that. And I, I suppose some of the pre-game rumours were swirling. I think, you know, obviously there's there's these guys that are, you know, the insiders, whatever you want to call them. You know, it's part of their role on a Sunday is to create some theory about, you know, so the latest news story, gossip. Um, you know, you've got that in fantasy football. I think it's the kind of two sort of... Uh, uh, hot air that they try and build around the game which you know I don't always think is necessary when you could just educate people about the game but um, but I often think that on a Sunday but 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 when uh, when you see us in Chicago are rumoured to be making a coaching change a lot of this stuff's always probably engendered by agents you know obviously you know Bob Lamont's got uh, had cows up by the bootstraps last off season in terms of getting them to take his clients on board Um what do you think about the uh, the rumors of Cully, and do you think he deserves a second chance in a year two? I'm kind of torn on the whole situation with him. I mean, the the comments that he made today just really made it difficult for me to to buy him for him for 2022 when he's having to lean on Casario and Cornell during the game yeah. to help him make decisions. I mean, that's that's critical thinking one-on-one that a head coach should already be one down ahead of thinking what's going to happen, making those critical decisions in a span of five to seven seconds. And when he's coming out and admitting that he couldn't do it and that he's having to rely on people and that it makes sense to him after the fact, I mean, we heard it back, you know, back in early part of the season, every week it was coming into the press room on Monday. Yeah, I should, I should have gone for that. Yeah, I should have done that. Yeah, I should have done that. And, I mean, we, you can only have so much on the job training. You, you can't, this, this can't be a safety net for Coley for the rest of the season. I mean, you, the, the, you need a head coach who can make those decisions. Yes. It's great to have Casario on the headset for feedback and Cornell on the headset for feedback. But when he's literally, maybe not literally, but it sounds like he's literally asking them, what guy, what should I do here guys? And they're feeding him the information that, to me, that is just a scary proposition going forward. And is he going to learn to be able to manage that through the end of this year and next year? Probably not. If he hasn't figured it out in the last mm. six weeks, he's probably not going to figure it out going forward. So given all that, I mean, I, I think the team needs to make a move. I think the team needs to move on. You know, it's going to be, I don't know how attractive the position is going to be across the league. It just kind of depends on, what the team does or what kind of message they're sending out in the off season, especially with Watson, if that, if that situation is going to get dealt with 
that'll make this situation a little more, the position a little more attractive to a coach if that situation is resolved or has a direction to be resolved, knowing the type of assets that'll come back in return. So I think at this point, I mean, if he's, if he's around for 2022, I'm okay with it, but I think the team at this point needs to probably make, need to make a move. Even if it's, I mean, even if it's a Lovey Smith just to take over for a year, but I don't know. I, you know, it seems like the James Campen thing at offensive line is not working out as of yet. Maybe that, that things will turn around, but it, it makes me wonder also if you bring in a new head coach, how much of the staff is going to get turned over and is it another lost year? So that's what makes me torn on it is, is how much of a changeover is it going to be if Coley is replaced? You know, is it just a Gerard Mayo bringing in? You know, that kind of seems to be the hint that, that, you know, there's starting to be hints dropped in a day back to like September that there's one guy out there that Casario has just been infatuated with and seems to think that has is a head coach in the making and, and nobody has said it directly, but it really sounds like it's Gerard Mayo. And whether that's yeah. the guy to bring in and, and move forward, you know, at this point, I'm all for anything. I just, I don't think Cully's the guy, and I, if you keep him around for another year, to me, it's just another wasted year. So, yeah, move on. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a wasted year, but I, I, I said to a couple of people before the game, I think it's it's probably going to be a wasted year. You just got to decide who you waste that year with. I think, unfortunately, it's probably the, um, you know, in terms of true success, you know, there may be some developmental storylines in there that you can take as a as a as as positives and as building blocks for next year. But I think as well, you know, when you we I think there's two points to this Troy. So there's one that's like, you know, the guy's been in the game for forty years and we're still talking about, you know, basic decisions that you could get a fourteen year old kid that plays Madden that could tell, you know, what what you know, some situational awareness and you think, but you know, but you've been in this game for so long, David. How do you not know? Like, why do you, do you, you know, like, did you never think about it at any point, or were you just, were you just too busy giving pep talks to wide receivers and you've kind of forgotten about the game, you know? And it's like, it's almost like the, you know, the game moves on and past people buying. You kind of feel like that sometimes with them. And then I think there's a second point as well when, when you're looking to hire a coach, is that a Casario guy? Because if you want to go out and get the best coach possible, um, and just say you are in a position that you weren't this season to, that the job may be attractive and it may not have all these caveats and it may not have this uh, aid of gloom hanging over that because you've got off-field allegations with your star quarterback and all this kind of stuff. If I was a up-and-coming head coach who believed in myself, who believed in all the things I do, that wanted to run it my way, do you think you would want to work for Nick Caserio? And I'm not sure the answer to that question. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair question. I mean, the, there's already the perception being painted out there, especially with the Cully comments today with him leaning on Casario and Cornell on the headsets is, is the next head coach going to come in and be willing to accept having Casario on the headset as well, regardless of how much feedback is taken in. So it's definitely, this is Casario's show to He's running the show. There's no way around that. So any head coach that comes in, is going to have to accept that this is Casario's show and that's the way it's going to be. So in my mind, that's the way I, I, that's the way it's always should be in my mind. The head coach should be the coach. Yes. They, the, the front office should be building the roster around the coach's needs, but I've never been a big fan of the coach who has the, the roster control and things like that. So hopefully they can find a coach that can be a head coach that can be a leader that can 
in addition to being a leader, can be making those critical decisions on his own during the game and can bring over an offensive scheme that fits this personnel. So at this point, you know, there's there's going to be some names out there. It's just whether or not what's going to be the attractiveness of the job, as you mentioned, is are they going to be ready to come over and work for Casario knowing that this is Casario's show and there's nothing going to change about that? Yeah, and I was gonna. It almost kind of comes across as unnecessarily overbearing. I think you know, and I, 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 I do think for the right guy, you've got to think he's very kind of a, a, a lateral thinker. You think he he would be t- willing to take a step back, but he's going to have to trust that guy implicitly. And I think he's obviously meddling there, if if that's the right phrase, uh, and the right way to look at it, because perhaps there is a lack of trust there. But then it goes back to well, why did you hire the guy? Uh, because he seems like a rabbit in the headlights for somebody so experienced it's, it's quite perplexing I think because you think you know you would have at least thought about it you know if I got the chance this is how I would do it because we've all been there in life at work and what have you um, but but alas um, that's the situation we're in it may be repeated which is tough and I think it's a lot to ask for people as well again to to you know to to, to experience some of this and I think change is, is not always necessary um, but I think there's a lot to be said for stability but I think in this case when you're trying to re-engage your fan base I think you might you know they, they may well be forced and there may be some truth to those rumours but in terms of Casario Troy it's conscious of time here but um, in terms of his cap management I've been very critical of the restructures I've heard you talk about it somewhat um, you know a, a quick view of, of, of how he's managed the cap this year because it feels like he's taken a lot of dead money signed a lot of players expended dollars that you could have carried into the next year um, or following years that you know for 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 limited production. But how do you view Casado's initial kind of first year and 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 managing the, the the cap? Yeah, you you nailed it exactly. I mean that the the amount of restructures that he that he conducted this year really blew me away. Really pushed a lot of money in twenty twenty two, and as a result, you know the team's already at thirty five million dollars in dead money next year, and that that's going to top 50 million once Watson's traded and it potentially could top over 65 million. You know, if they trade Tunsil, once they make four or five moves that need to be moved, that need to be made on the roster for 2022. So pushing the money like he did, I didn't quite agree with, you know, but this whole off season threw me for, threw me for a curve to begin with. I, I did not anticipate the amount of, veteran type of veteran type of free agent spending that it was that he did. I thought it was going to be more of a, a large undrafted free agent class and things like that. And just kind of manage the contracts that you had and try to get out, get out clean from them for 2022. So that obviously didn't happen, but I mean, it's tough to, to, to say how the cap management is because you kind of really want to look at that at a two or three year sample. So, you know, the restructures, is the biggest detriment to me at this point is really going to, it's going to handicap the team, but next year, but it's going to really, I think you're going to see a ton of roster churn. You know, they only have 29 players under contract for next year as of right now. And that that number will go up to, you know, 35 or so once they sign their futures after the, after the regular season's over. But even then to fill out a 60 man roster, you know, we're going to see another. We're going to see another high volume free agency period out of Casario. You know, the 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 third, second, and third wave of free agents like we saw this year. 
So yeah. I, I'd be curious to see how he allocates dollars. I'm I'm curious to see what his value is on on positions, spe- specifically, you know, coverage versus pass rush. Is he going to invest in cornerback? Is he going to invest in a pass rusher? Which one's more important to him? And then the same for wide receivers. Is he willing to pay wide receiver? Because New England did not like paying wide receivers. Bill O'Brien did not like paying wide receivers. So I'm curious to see if Casario has that same attitude towards wide receivers. You know, you know, Nico Collins and, and is obviously here for the future. Brandon Cooks, I, I firmly believe, will be here next year. But they still need to start finding a replacement for Brandon Cooks. So, at, you know, I kind of would just if I had to grade it in some almost like a B minus C plus kind of thing, just because of the constant restructures, they would, I understand you team. They really thought that they were going to be a little more competitive this year. And Casario was trying to free up as much cap dollars to make the team as competitive as they could, but it, it ended up backfiring and it's going to be a little detriment to next year when it comes to the cap dollars that are available for the team to spend. So they, you know, that had a big cash spending this year, regardless of the of the restructures and things like that. So I don't expect the cash spending to be as high next year, but they still will sign a large number of contracts. This is going to be another thing like we saw this year with the the lower level, mid level type free agency. Yeah, and I think I mean I suppose there'll be, there'll be changes, you know, incurred as a as a reaction to kind of you know. Like, because I can guarantee season ticket sales will be down again next year, and that you know that'll all, that'll all contribute to the budget. It might be small margins, but you know that there will be there'll be points where they, they you know they may look to make savings and what have you. But I I just hope this off season, in terms of veteran players, it's quality over quantity. And if you need to fill out a roster, do it with youth. You know, one, two, three. You know, year three players max. Um, and try and find something that other people and coach guys and try and you know ex- exclude some value from guys that you know you might not necessarily got elsewhere and I think that's going to to be to be the the big thing. There was a couple of just finish off on a a point of 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 it's been much discussed, but I thought it was interesting and I don't know how much you know about you know or how much you hear about agents in the agent world, but I was very fascinated to listen to that um, interview last week with. David Mulligator, um, with the Ryan Clark Face First podcast. Um, I've always been a, a character that's kind of obviously interested me, but there's very little about him. Um, and it was about an hour conversation. You know, listen to it, I would definitely, you know, tell anyone to go and have a listen. It kind of painted a bit, a bit more clarity, I think, for me in terms of the whole kind of Watson thing. And uh, one one point he didn't make Troy, and it was almost laughable. He basically said how easy the negotiation was with with uh, which was effectively Jack Easterby on <laughs> on uh, the Watson contract, um, almost to the point where you could almost hear him grinning through the mic. Um, but um, as he took that, as he took that five or ten percent or whatever his cut is. But I thought what was really interesting was when they talked about the legal situation. He said, "Oh, we can't comment about it much, but we are very confident about the truth that will come out." And that's always been my position or my thought anyway. From a kind of from a you know from something that myself works in a commercial environment, I thought that the 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 certainty that they would have had, and it may be born out of some arrogance because it's a it's a big money field and that that may, that definitely plays into it in some part. But the, the certainty that they've had that they always thought they'd be okay, um, 
now where the timelines align them to be okay and allows his, his client to play next year is a, is, a, is a matter that's probably out with their control. But I thought it was interesting that they, you know, he was very bullish on the, on the fact that the truth could come out. Talked about being in a world where actually the truth's not important, it's about who's first. Um, and made a number of comments, which were reasonably surprising, um, considering it was a recent interview. Um, but what, what, what do you make of that situation? What do you make of the agent's influence and how do you see it all playing out? So I think Watson wants to avoid any chance of him getting deposed, which I think is supposed to happen right after the Super Bowl towards the end of February. Yep. I think his goal at this point is to try to settle as many of the cases as he can to avoid being deposed. And I think majority of the parties involved are pretty confident that no criminal charges are going to come down. And I know we had the story came out about, about the search warrants on his social media sites, but those, those search warrants just came out in October. We're just now hearing about it. But at this point, I think all parties are, are confident in a positive outcome and the nature of that cases will get settled. No criminal charges will come and things are going to move forward. He might get a, you know, some type of suspension next year. But at this point, I mean, you're thinking about, you know, it always harps on me when people, when people talk about, you know, you can't trade no one without what type of suspension he's going to get. You're getting Watson. You're getting a quarterback that you're going to have for 10 plus years and you're worried about six games of suspension. I mean, that should be the least of your concerns. Your concerns should be that the cases get settled and that there's no criminal charges. So I think all things at this point are pointing in the right direction. I think a trade gets done come either March or even after, after the free agency started. I think it gets done before draft night. I think Casario is going to get what he's asking for. I think you might see a, new, a few new players and players, I mean, by teams, a, a few new teams interested in, in him next year. I'm hoping for the sake of Texans and for the and for Watson that he's willing to open up his no trade clause for a few more teams and not just keep a dig in on, on Miami. But I think everything is going to work out. It's just going to take some time. But I think at the end of the day, He's he's going to be traded. I think Texans are going to get adequate return on on value, and all everybody can start moving forward and and move on about their lives. Yeah, because it's, it's just paused everything, isn't it? Really, I think um, it, it, he did actually touch on that as well. Um, his agent, he said, you know, everybody in the league knows who he is, and uh, you saw that there was still, a, you know, despite everything going on, there was still a market at the trade deadline. So. I think they seem pretty bullish on it. I, I think at this stage they'll try. I'm certainly of the opinion you can't trade them to Miami now because that trade for Jalen Waddles effectively removed them from the stakes, in my opinion, because you think San Fran are doing better this year. So that's one. That's two of the three picks that they potentially offer. Um, but and 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 obviously if Watson goes there, then you got to think they'll be picking somewhere at least in the twenties in 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 2023. So the value of that's you know definitely eroding um, as we speak. So. Yeah, hopefully we get some certainty. Hopefully we get some uh, some some kind of assets to use and allow Casario. And then you know Casario's got to shoot, his, you know, to take his shot at that stage. I think, isn't he? And it's uh, it's it's pretty much all or nothing over a two year period. If he doesn't, you know, hit unequivocally on those guys, then you know we're 
potentially facing a long, long road. I think and that's that's where he's going to earn that seven million a year or what have you. But Troy, just finally, are you on the? Do you think three firsts is enough? I know you're talking about being the the value of this guy and the rarity of this asset. Is three firsts enough for you? I think at this point, that's going to have to be enough. I don't think there's any true value that's truly enough for him. I mean, if you if you took away all the the criminal aspect of things, if you were if you took that part out and you just put it in a vacuum, there's really no way to get adequate value for Watson back, considering what the the receiving team's going to get, both on contract and player. But when you factor in the criminal aspect, the criminal aspect of it, and the, the baggage going to come with it, the nomenclature, the viewpoint that some fans are going to have of him. But as we all know wins cure all and he goes to a new team and he starts winning. Everybody's going to forget about that stuff. But yeah, I mean, three ones, regardless of they're consecutive or lumped into two years, but I need, I need a little bit more than three ones, you know, three ones, a two, three ones, a two and a player something. But I mean, he's, he's, he has immense value beyond just 2022. And that's what I was talking about. I mean, you're getting, a potential top five quarterback for however many years. And that's just that you can't put a value on that. And yes, you're going to have to cap. There's a cap to what teams are willing to give up in terms of, of draft picks and things like that. But it, I don't think you're ever going to get true, true return on him. You're just going to have to get what you can get for him. And if that's three ones and a, and, and some in our player or whatever it is. And that's what it is. That's the cost of doing business. And that's what the team's going to have to do. Watson's actions put the team in a, in a, in a very difficult position. His, you know, Easterby and them including the no trade clause, which has become a little more prevalent across the league, but that no trade clause is really starting to, to come back and haunt them. And, and I'd, you know, at this point, I just hope that Watson is, becomes a little more accommodating. I understand he's trying to exert, exert his power. I know Mulligetta wants him to exert his player power to really continue to push that trend for players to have power. But if you really want to, if you really want to trade, then you need to, you need to be a little, little more accommodating on your side and, you know, open up that no trade clause a little bit and start building a little more hype. You know, if, if he opens up the trade clause, but he still really wants Miami, then maybe that brings in other teams to build up that draft value, bring up the trade package and, and really push things along and get things moving in the right direction. So, you know, I, I was I, it's so excited, just like everybody else, to have Watson, to have a franchise quarterback. But I, at this point, I'm just I'm just ready for it to be over with. I'm ready for it to move on and and see what's next. Yeah, that's right. yeah, it's 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 strange, isn't it? Because it's like it's like almost a a terminal sort of situation you you've been in, and now you're just waiting for it to conclude, and you don't know when that will be. But yeah, you've got to think that they've got to open up their horizons in terms of the possibilities of where they'll go, because otherwise, you know, you know, corner in their market to certain ones is only going to you know drag it out further. You'd think, but um, it's, it certainly seems something that we want to want to move on from and uh, and turn the page. But uh, then it, all the pressure builds on Casario I think at that point and uh, you know but for me I think it would have to be it'd have to be four firsts over three years I think you'd have to be asking for it to get true value for him but as you said circumstances dictate and perhaps mitigate some of that value that 
may just be lost down to a lack of lack of closeness to players and what they're doing off the field. I think, and that again, that goes back to organisational feelings, just as it does the the character evaluation and the guys in your building. But um, but Troy, I've probably a question we're going to start asking a lot of people uh, at the close up the show. But when do you think it will matter again? When do you think these games will? Um, or feel like you know each touchdown counts for something because that, that feeling's well and truly been lost this year. Yeah, the, I think at this point, twenty twenty four is what you're looking at. Yeah. You know, with the lack of a a, a top tier quarterback being available in twenty twenty two is going to hinder that. So let's just assume they don't find their guy in twenty twenty two. That they find their guy in twenty twenty three. Then you have the first year growing pain so to me at this point 2024 is the year that the team starts becoming playoff relevant and starts making a little a little bit of noise and heading in the right direction i think 2022 is going to be 2022 is going to be be the year that 2021 should have been i think you're really going to see that final bit of roster churn Cleaning off the decks from contracts, you're gonna you're gonna see the Eric Murray's, the Marcus Cannons, the Kevin Pierre Lewis, maybe Kami Fairbairn, despite him having a resurgence later this year. You're gonna start to see contract cleanup and really remolding this roster and Casario's view going forward. So, given all that, that that would be the kind of time frame that I would be looking at is 2024 when you really start to be relevant again. And I know that's a tough, tough time frame for fans to, to, to absorb, but that that's just what it is. You know, maybe, maybe something changes, but that's kind of my viewpoint at this point in time. Yeah. It can change quickly, but yeah, I, I think you're right. Those timelines seem to seem to match up with, feasible expectations you just never know but it does feel like this year's kind of as you said could, could have been a lot more in terms of taking steps forward but um but troy thank you very much for your time um any christmas plans um you you all geared up in your house no we're you know luckily we're both me and my wife's family are both nearby so we don't have to travel anywhere luckily and uh luckily we can just drive down one road and 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 then head over to another place so you know we're we're excited to be able to to have family in person this year. We we held off we held off on it last year for for COVID reasons. So we're excited to be able to get back together for family and 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 I hope everybody out there has a, a wonderful Christmas holiday. I mean, you know, as we continue, you know, we'll see what happens in the near future with COVID. But you know, we, we'll do what we can while we can. Yeah, that's right. No, exactly. No, well, enjoy that, Troy. Thank you very much for your time. Um, Merry Christmas to all you listening when it finally comes to you. Where you get a day's respite and then you get a Texas game on this on the Sunday, the, the following day, to bring yourself back down to earth. Might sober you up, might sort of hangover out, it might, <laughs> might do many things, but I don't think it'll necessarily entertain you in terms of football. But you will get to see what I know a transcendent quarterback looks like in Justin Herbert. So um, take that and take some notes and uh, maybe try and take that over to your draft evaluation for for Bryce Young at all uh, in, in, the, in the subsequent draft but but thanks to Troy for his time thanks again for listening, have a great Christmas when it comes to you, we'll be back next week to wrap up some of the Chargers game and, and a reasonably short one next week in between Christmas and New Year but thanks again for listening, um, if you haven't checked out the website at podcasttexans.com please do if you're watching on YouTube, uh, give us a like, give us a subscribe all that kind of good stuff um, share the podcast with anyone you can and uh, we'll be back again next week 